Thank you so much for just all the wonderful music. It was just so beautiful this, these days. I heard of it before I came, <laughs> and it has exceeded what I heard. I, I mean that. It's just amazing. God is using the music program in this church in a tremendous way and, and to reach groups of people. And, and uh, wow, what a, what a great blessing. Thank you so for, uh, also for all the, just all the work you've done. Thank you for the welcome for Mary and I and all the other missionaries here. We, are, we just have been so blessed. We know a lot goes on. Thank you, Brother Gilmore, for all the, uh, all, all the uh, work that's been done for all the staff and Pastor and, and uh, Mrs. Van Gelder. Just thank you so much. We have just so enjoyed this. It's just a blessing. It's been a different uh, type of conference for us. We've, we really have uh, enjoyed uh, interacting with the other missionaries. I have been challenged. I have cards in my pocket uh, that afford the deaf. I, I, I've been re-challenged to, to be more active in trying to reach the deaf with the gospel. Uh, and, and then just other, other mission fields uh, have just challenged my heart just to listen to each one. I hope that you young people or middle-aged or older people will uh, respond to whatever God is doing in your heart uh, and, and has done in your heart in listening to these wonderful presentations and, and, and gaining God's burden uh, for a lost and, and dying world. Uh, there's been a scripture that's been referred to a couple times uh, and even in this service. And, and we're going to be, by the way, in the book of Obadiah of all places. Okay, Obadiah. So see if you can find that while, we're, uh, uh, while I'm working here and, and, and giving this first, first few verses. But this scripture has been uh, given to us even just a few minutes ago. Uh, and this is found in Mark also. And it said, and he taught saying unto them, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? Uh, I, I'll end it there because of the, what I want to emphasize is this, that uh, the Lord Jesus, one of his last acts, you know, as, as he came on this face of this earth, as he came down into Jerusalem on the uh, triumphal entry, he came into Jerusalem. Uh, there, he, the next morning, he went into the temple area. He cleansed the temple uh, and, and he, he said this statement uh, to the people. He said, listen, this, this house is to be called a house of prayer of all nations, uh, which, as was already pointed out in the service, uh, was actually a prophecy that one day that nations would come from all over the world and they would be in Jerusalem and this temple, this place would be a house of prayer. We know it's speaking about the millennial temple. We know it's speaking about that thousand years uh, when, when uh, uh, Christ will rule and reign and will rule and reign with Christ out of the place, the one place on earth where God has placed his name. Isn't that amazing that God has placed his name? We started out this conference in, in speaking about uh, Moses and how he was going to go from the burning bush back in, in, into Egypt carrying this message. The great I am has sent me <laughs> and he is going to deliver you from your bondage. And uh, we know that was, that was the theme and, and, and Moses went in and led the people out and into the promised land. And now we as the church have a similar theme. We're coming to a lost and dying world and saying the one name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, is the name uh, of the I am that will deliver you from your sin and from your sorrow and from your bondage. This is the, this is the message that we have. And, uh, and that one day that after all this is over, we'll be all together. The Jewish people think today uh, that the reason why they, they need to rebuild their temple is so that they will unify themselves as a nation. And actually, that's actually going to happen, according to prophecy. They will rebuild the temple. Matter of fact, it is very close. When you see what's being done, we don't know the day nor hour, but if you've ever been to places in Israel, uh, such as the Temple Mount Institute and other places, and see what has already been done in order to uh, bring the temple to being, uh, it's really amazing. But uh, so, you know, that does excite us about the end time. The sad part about that is that, yes, they'll be unified in a temple that they build. But then the Antichrist will come into that temple 
and then, yes, it'll unify ultimately even uh, the world, but it's going to be following the one that's going to take them into a Christless eternity if they follow them and die in their sins. So the, this unification uh, will happen. But Christ said this, the Messiah said this, that the, the temple that is in the millennial temple will unite, but it won't just unite Israel, it'll unite the entire world and every knee is going to bow, right? And every tongue's going to confess uh, in, in heaven, under heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is what we're looking forward to. Uh, and so since, as we have said over, and it's been such a blessing to be able to bear uh, the scripture to you about the nation of Israel and the centrality of the nation, the nation of Israel in relation to even the Great Commission, uh, past, present, future, about how that the Lord is, uh, uh, illustrates his great uh, wisdom by bringing Jew and Gentile together into the body of Christ and he teaches the heavenly host about his great uh, uh, wisdom by bringing those together. So there's still this uh, going to the Jew first and also to the Gentile that's necessary for the Great Commission. Then we saw last night how that God has a plan for the nation of Israel to receive the gospel. And why that plan is, is that God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, both Jew and Gentile. It's been exciting studying this and, and getting another new glimpse of, of the need to reach both the Jew and the Gentile with the gospel. So it's no wonder... That since the nation of Israel has had a past and a role in the Great Commission, that is the foundation of that, and bringing forth the Messiah and the Word of God and all the things that we spread in the Great Commission. And now even today, they, when they come into the body of Christ with the Gentiles, they bring glory to the God. And in the future... The Great Commission will actually be uh, fulfilled in the nation of Israel. And, and so there's the centrality of that right there. It's, there's no wonder that the devil wants to destroy the nation of Israel, even today. And this message I want to preach out of the book of Obadiah tonight is just a little reminder, a warning to us about allowing in our hearts as Christians the possibility that there would be any amount of anti-Semitism that would enter our heart. You say, is that possible? I travel around the churches all around this United States and, and even in the world, and you would be amazed, you would be appalled sometimes at some of the things that's said in fundamental churches about the nation of Israel about the response sometimes. I was up in, in the north uh, preaching not so long ago and a man sitting on the front bench while I was preaching shouted out an anti-Semitic, you know, just spoke it to me, an anti-Semitic uh, thing. And, and, I, and I, the, later the pastor was very apologetic, but sitting right in a wonderful church that there would be actually that in our heart. Yet we live in a country, we live uh, in a world today where anti-Semitism is growing. And, and it's growing even among those that call themselves uh, Christians and sometimes even fundamental Christians. So I want to look in the, in the book of, of Obadiah ten, uh, tonight. And you can also have your hands in the book of Ezekiel. We'll end up there too. And, and just look at this warning that God gives to anyone who would have the heart of anti-Semitism on any level in their heart. But while we're looking at this, always remember anything that we study about the nation of Israel and the way God has used them to bring the light of gospel applies for any nation applies, and not the Abrahamic covenant or anything, but I'm talking about the way God has worked, just like the way he worked with Moses, bringing them out of, uh, by the great I am in his name and out of bondage, and that's what he does for, the, for Gentiles. He'll bring them out of bondage, right? Well, so we get the picture of the Great Commission, a picture of salvation, and the way we're to live many times, even by looking at the examples through the word of God of Israel, and this is no different 
because if the nation, if the nation of Israel can experience anti-Semitism, so can there be people against other nations here in the world. And although I want to concentrate on the nation of Israel tonight because of the importance, I also want to emphasize that this heart that can be against the nation of Israel can actually also be against other people. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so let's look at uh, the commitment that God has to the nation of Israel in regards to anti-Semitism. We are living in interesting times, aren't we? These are times where I've been warned of by even my father and my grandfather, who was a, a preacher, uh, that we would see events unfolding, that one day we would see the world turning more and more against the nation of, of Israel right before our eyes. Uh, and it's on the rise. The countries surrounding Israel now, we know, uh, are increasingly emboldened to rise up against this nation. We, we know that. That's happening more and more. The focus on Israel's destruction. Uh, some of the countries are more devastated now, like Syria, welcoming the Russia, increasing presence into the Middle East, solidifying around uh, that little nation, strong ties with other enemies of that nation, the nation of Israel. We see this unfolding right before our eyes. Other countries are jumping on the anti-Semitic bandwagon, right? We see it happening in, even in America with movements such as the BDS movement. You know about that, the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. That, uh, that tries to devastate the economy of Israel uh, by delegitimizing the nation of Israel so that people will not uh, purchase or do any type of business with them, the BDS movement. That's, that's very strong. For instance, uh, in, in some countries, like for instance in India, uh, the largest national organization representing farmers in India, some 16 million strong, announced that it has joined this movement. In Canada, that uh, even airlines have ended its contract with the Israeli arms firm following a BDS uh, a campaign in Canada and others as well. Thankfully, God blesses Israel, man. Thankfully, it's not been as it's been far less uh, effective as they would like. But tragic to say, even more tra tragic is that there are actually Christians, professed Christians, that have been caught up in this type of wave of anti-Semitism. Evangelistic, uh, evangel uh, evangelistic Christians involved in such things as Christ at the checkpoint, uh, uh, battling the Jewish so-called religious extremist and the so-called occupation, which I hate that, uh, especially when they refer to it as apartheid. That's horrible. I lived in South Africa, I know, and, we, and, we, and, and there's pastors, they grew up in that. They understand the big difference between that and, and, and what that was. That's not what's happening at all in Israel. So these are interesting times, aren't they? In this time of the Great Commission, has God forsaken the nation of Israel? No, God has not forsaken this tiny nation. And there remains three clear things that I want to give you in, by introduction. Number one is this. They're not, it, it's, they're not deep, okay? Listen, number one, God loves all the people of the world, right? God loves every nation. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation to anyone, everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile. So he loves it. The gospel is both to the Jew and to the Gentile today. And it's the only way of eternal life to both the Jew and the Gentile. Paul later uh, wrote to the Jews and Gentiles and he said this uh, in the context even of the Jew being saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, and, and they need to call upon the name of the Lord. So the primary responsibility for reaching the Jews and the Gentiles with the gospel lies at the door of the local church. There's not two ways uh, uh, that God has created. The tragic truth is that, as I've said a couple times, several, that the church has, has largely uh, ignored that call, especially in reaching the Jewish people around the world with the gospel, even that though God has made that the plan. And, uh, and there's still Gentile countries that need to be reached. 
So that's number one. God loves all the people of the world. Number two, God has a plan, right? God has a plan to reach the nations. And God's plan is always superior to any plan that we can come up with, right? God's plan is, this plan still deeply involves the Jewish nation, as we, we have seen over these days again and reminded of. And, and he says, never abandoned his plan. In fact, the, all the remnant of the nation of Israel one day shall be saved. And this is the culminating fact of the day of the Lord uh, and Jerusalem as the center of worship for 1,000 years. We've talked about that already. And so uh, Zechariah tells us that and prophesies that that will happen. God has a plan. And the third biblical truth is this. One day, all nations who have chosen to stand against the people of Israel, God will judge. God will judge. There is an undeniable truth for those who hold to a literal proof of Scripture. And this is, uh, this is the truth. The Abrahamic covenant was, is an unconditional covenant. And, uh, and, and we are to remember that God, the Lord said as a part of that, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curses thee. And so th this is still intact today, and, and we know that this is re reiterated even by Christ when he uh, uh, spoke about on the um, Olivet Discourse, and he recorded in Matthew 25 that all Gentile nations will one day be judged according, according to their treatment of the nation of Israel, who he calls my brethren. Now, God never defends or, or, or ignores Israel's backsliding. He never defends or ignores their, their hardness of heart or the rejection of Messiah, nor does he us, right, uh, as Gentile nations. And, and, and they are, have been and are still suffering the consequences of such. Some people say, how do you answer the objection of, well, when a Jewish person says, why would six million people, how could they be killed in the Holocaust? You know, and, and that's a hard thing. And one of the answers is that the devil has been trying to destroy the Jewish nation for all throughout history. And, and that's one Good reason why, uh, terrible reason, but a, a re good a re reason to give why that so many died. It's horrible. It was a satanic, horrible thing. But the Bible does say in Deuteronomy that if the children of Israel had been in obedience to the Lord and been in the land instead of cast out the land, that their enemies would have fled from before them. So we know there's a dual thing here. There's a responsibility and yet Satan is still uh, working to destroy the Jewish nation. But in this little book of Obadiah and in other parallel prophecies, it illustrates the danger of allowing for whatever reason, anti-Semitic or even careless indifference to the Jew, uh, Jewish people to creep into the hearts, our personal hearts, or even the heart of a church. Let's look at it, please, quickly. The book of Obadiah is the shortest book of the Hebrew scriptures. The name Obadiah means servant or worshiper. Obadiah is a, a book of recompense and deliverance, ending with this, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The theme of this book uh, is taken as to, uh, from the abuse of God's people, their promised land, and specifically God's holy hill, by the way, which still belongs entirely to the Jewish people, right? And so the object of this book in, is the Lord's anger and rebuke. And, it, and the rebuke is on the descendants of Jacob's twin brother Esau, who we know as Edom or the Edomites. Edom is accused uh, by the Lord of an unrelenting and systematic violence against their kinsmen. Can I say this, please? God loves the Edomites. God wants to save everyone. But we're talking about taking into your own hands to stand against the nation of Israel. And so... These, these, uh, they did, and in verse number 10, we'll start with that. Can't do a whole book study here, even though it's the shortest book in the Hebrew uh, Bible, but let's look at verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. So we see that the object is this uh, violence against them, and the time frame 
of this prophetic passage is this. We believe that, and it's very broad. Uh, these abuses by Edom cover a uh, history of Egypt, beginning with the destruction of the first temple by Nebuchadnezzar back in 589 B.C., right through the present to a future view of the day of the Lord. So it's a broad spectrum in these few verses, which is now uh, still to come. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen or the nations, as thou hast done. It shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall be turned upon thy own head. And so it's, it talks about the, the time of the day of the Lord and even the future blessings as Israel gains possession of the Temple Mount and, and the land of Israel in its entirety. Verses 19 through 21 give a view, a future view, view of Israel's land borders that will be extended in the areas that will be occupied by uh, Israel in the restoration still to come. And that's going to be a wonderful time, isn't it? But in, in uh, Obadiah verses 1 through 3, it begins by rebuking the sinful pride of the uh, Edomites. The Bible says here in verse 3, The pride of thine heart has deceived thee, thou that dwelleth uh, in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? So when you go to the heart of anti-Semitism, you go to the heart of pride, right? That's always the, uh, the, the source of any type of stand against really any people but especially, uh, in, uh, especially those that have uh, anti-Semitism in their heart. It's the mountain of Seir, the clefts of the rock, that most likely maybe even referring to the modern-day Petra, known in uh, Obadiah's day as Selah or Hasilah. The, now, God had given this land to Edom. Uh, and, and just as God gave his chosen people a land, he had given this land uh, also to the descendants of Esau, and this is a very important point because what this expresses and demonstrates is God's love for all people. Uh, God had a provision for all nations. According to his promise, even to Hagar, God had blessed the descendants of Ishmael with great wealth. And, uh, and today that equates to over 99% of all the land in, in the Middle East. And uh, so God has demonstrated, even in history, his love for all nations, right? Uh, but he gave the land of Israel to, to them. And during the Exodus, matter of fact, coming out of Egypt, when they came out of Egypt, uh, God commanded Israel, when they came through this land of Edom, that he had given to Edom and gave it to those people. He said, don't meddle with it at all. We, uh, for time purposes, we won't look up that, but it's, it's in uh, Numbers chapter 20 and and. Uh, and that land that was given, and he says, do not, and Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 5, it shows that the commandment by the Lord to not meddle with it at all when you go through it. So when they, this uh, massive multitude was coming out of the land of Egypt, God wanted them to be able to come through the uh, uh, land of Edom, in the Edomites, but, uh, but he said, when you go through that, don't touch it. When Israel asked permission to pass through the land, once they came out of the land, uh, the, the Edom flatly refused and Israel pleaded with them. They pleaded, they said, we won't touch a thing, please. And they said they would pay for any provision, even water. And by the way, I'm just going to go branch out and say this. When you go to the land of Egypt, and, uh, land of Israel, excuse me, and you begin seeing really what's happening there, you just realize how much the media just really snows the world. Because we're talking about people that has tried to help and improve the life and the neighbors uh, of, of, of their country and those all through the residents of it. So I stand here telling you the truth, and you know this, but that, that Israel has been a blessing to those people. And that Jewish people have been a blessing to the non-Jews that are, uh, are in, the land of, uh, in the land of Israel. And you see that. Matter of fact, I was talking to a tank commander one time, and he was a tough guy. And he was telling me, he, he looked, he said, look at this. And he said, we have tried to help them, but their leadership won't let us do it. He had tears in his eyes. And, uh, and I'm not making saints out of every Israeli, but I am saying that there is a, 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 there's a, a desire in that nation that God has to help people. And, uh, and, and, and we need to be so careful. So when, uh, when 
Israel asked for permission to pass through. They said they would pay for the water, but Edom viciously responded with the threat of the sword. Did we find that in Numbers? And this single act of doing this, my friends, uh, actually set the stage for all the future abuses uh, and the abuse of Israel by the hands of the Edomites. But this is what I want you to get tonight. There's actually a progression that you see here in the scripture of anti-Semitism. It just doesn't come and all of a sudden, but like anything that's of Satan, it slowly moves into the hearts of people. And again, I'll remind you that that happens with any people. That, uh, that, and, if, and, and we've been reminded in this conference that if we're going to reach any nation with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we got to love them. We can't have uh, things in our heart against them. No people, right? But I would, I would say that that's especially true with the nation of Israel and, and God's chosen people. Look at verse number 11. We'll see the first of this progression. The Bible says, as we read verse number 10, how he said that uh, I'm going to cover you and, and, and you shall be cut off forever. This is why, verse 11. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou was as one of them. What is the, the, the a verse saying here? He's telling them, God's telling uh, the Edomites, uh, and through Obadiah, he's referring to a time when Edom stood by idly and while, and while Israel was carried away captive, most likely by the Babylonians. And, and we all know that that was, that was something God did. God was carrying, uh, allowing them to be carried away because he wanted to purge them, right? We know the history. He wanted to bring them out and they had been disobedient. But even in this, even though that God was allowing this in the life of Israel, he's telling them and, and uh, through Obadiah, you shouldn't have done this because what you did, you stood there and you had a complete disregard, a complete complacency complacency for the suffering and the destruction of your brethren. So I think the first, uh, the, the first uh, progression of having anti-Semitism in our heart or anything against any people is a complacency. We first just simply don't care. And he says, you were like one of them. You just sat back and just let it happen. Now, I don't know, and it doesn't explain, and it doesn't have to explain what God was expecting here, but what he wasn't expecting was a heart of complacency. And the first thing that can happen in the life of a believer, uh, in anything in regards to the Great Commission, I believe is that. Just a heart that I just really don't care but certainly in the nation of Israel. So, you know, as we look at the world today and, and we see this, the, the world turning against this uh, nation of Israel, that's so important to the Great Commission. We, it should grieve our hearts, right? And, and why is it that we have to be reminded, and I say this to myself, over and over again to pray for the peace of Jerusalem when we see anti-Semitism growing, uh, growing all around us. It should drive us to our knees and we should be praying about Israel. Lord, deliver them. God, don't let them uh, 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 fall to their enemies. And so Ob Obadiah was first saying, there was a complacency in your heart. And I wonder tonight, even right now, just by application, is there a complacency in our hearts tonight? What, what are we moved? What moves us? What moves us? What will cause us to make that decision? What will cause us to step out by faith? What will cause us to stand? And I, I, I would say that every Christian around the world, as this world gets more dark and it turns against the nation of Israel, it should drive us to our knees for the nation of Israel. We should pray for them. That we are indebted to this country. We owe everything to a Jewish Messiah. 
And when we see anti-Semitism, and, and the sad part about it is that it doesn't end there. When we allow complacency to come in our heart, then it comes to another level. Look what it, look, and it did with those in Edom. He said in verse 12, But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. In other words, he was carried away. Neither should thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither should thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Every time I see that word proud, I think of the verse in, in Romans that it says, it warns the Gentiles. Don't be proud that you have found and been grafted in uh, over the natural branches, right? Don't allow pride to, like maybe you receive something that because they were, quote, blinded. The Bible warns against that and says we're never to have pride in our heart, but would have humbleness that God would, would graft in, would graft in Gentiles into the body of Christ, into the natural, uh, the natural vine and the, and the natural branches were cut off. It should drive us to our knees in great humbleness before God every day of our life and say, thank you, God, for allowing us to be grafted in. We were not the natural branches. You let us be grafted in. But Lord, preserve the natural branches and help them to come to Christ, Right? And so we see that it, it says, thou shouldest not have looked on. So what do I call this? I, I call this being compliant. Actually, they, it got worse. The, the prophet referred to a time when they actually rejoiced and celebrated or spoke proudly as their brothers were in great uh, distress. And, and you have Christians today that are Christians, uh, and they might be true Christians, I don't know, but they've accepted the lies of the media and the lies that's spread around the world uh, about, and about the nation of Israel. And by the way, even if some of this truth, we're still not to ever rejoice or to be compl uh, compliant or to be in agreement with their, any type of anti-Semitism that would be uh, spread around this world, Right? And so, uh, so we have that, and, and, it, and it, it gets worse. So the next progression is this progression of being compliant or actually agreeing with what was happening. So as the Babylonian came in, uh, army came in, they actually stood, and they watched, and they said, you know what, they're probably getting what they deserve. They're probably just getting what they deserve. But let me ask you a question. Do we ever say that in our hearts about any people? When terrible things happen, when there's terrorism and, and things that happen in this world, and maybe it affects us, do we, do we then look at the destruction of those people and say, they're getting what they deserve? No. For the Great Commission and for the heart of the people, we should always be saying, no, 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 no. We all deserve it. I'll never be in agreement with anybody being destroyed. The great the commission that we're learning and, and the thing of, about Israel should teach us never, for, never be compliant with the destruction of any people, right? And the Bible gives that commandment. So this is the, uh, being complacent or being compliant but then there's a third progression. Look at verse number 13. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity. And then look what he says. Calamity. Nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Wow. Not only were they uh, complacent, they didn't care. Not only were they compliant, they actually were complicit. They actually took part in this thing. And the Lord was judging them for that. Uh, and, 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 you know, you say, could that really happen? As, as God's chosen people were being desecrated and killed and made carried away, that their own kinsmen in Eden would ravage their homes and steal their possessions? Could that really ever happen? It did happen. It happened in modern day. Uh, we exactly what happened during the Holocaust in Germany and in Poland and other countries. And, and you, you know, there's a book that maybe some of you have read called Hitler's Cross uh, by Lutzer. And it details how the church professed Christians 
stood by idly as Jews were hauled off to the concentration camp. There were those who, uh, some such as uh, Corey Ten Boone and the Ten Boone family or Bonhoeffer or others that would stand and try to make a stand against it. And some of them lost their lives, right? We know that. The righteous Gentiles that tried to make a difference. But you know, there were many, many, many professing Christians uh, in, in those lands. And yea, even in America. You know, do you know that the founder of our mission, Dr. Garden House, he would travel over during that time uh, just before World War War, uh, uh, the Second World World got uh, going, excuse me, and he would travel over to Germany, and he would come back, and this is a fact, and he saw what was happening with the rise of Nazism and the Jewish people, and he came back and would stand in the pulpits of Baptist churches and try to warn them about the Jewish people and what was going to happen, and he was ridiculed ridiculed for that. You say, that couldn't happen. It can happen. It can happen in the hearts of people even that profess to be Christians. Amen? And so how we have to be so careful. You say, how, how can that happen? Well, uh, we, we do know that even as they were carried away, and I'll tell you, this abuse was terrible. Did, have you ever heard or uh, read of when the churches and they were um, not rising up and defending the Jewish people. And, and there's one account that's given, uh, and, and maybe you read it, how that the, the, the railroad track and the train was running close to the church. You probably have read this. And, and the clatter of the railroad cars going on Sunday morning by the church was so noisy that you, what they did to resolve that, they just sang louder. The choirs in the churches sang louder to drown out the, the, the clattering of the, of the rail cars taking women and children and, and, and men to the concentration camp to a certain death. There was just this, and I, I would call that all the way to being complicit. And how we need so much to be careful about that. Uh, and, and, and to understand that we may even have to sacrifice our own life, right? And I'll tell you that what I'm preaching tonight may be right around the corner. And for the cause of Christ and for the cause of the Great Commission, are we willing to stand with the nation of Israel? You say, is that necessary? Certainly it's necessary. How can we be under the curse of God and, and do a great commission? And if we don't stand with it, we will be under the curse of God. So we understand that this is it. But I, I want you to turn back, if you would, please. And by the way, in verse number 14, it even says that they had stood in the crossways. They actually blocked off the way for them to escape into, uh, into, into safety. And, you know, that happened also in uh, Nazi Germany and over in America when their boats were turned away in different countries and they weren't even allowed to come to the land to escape many times. So this is a, it's a serious thing and it's all related uh, to, to the fact that we need very much to not ever allow something like this to come in our hearts. Look at Ezekiel. Back in Ezekiel, and we're going to look at this in chapter 35. The Bible, uh, Bible gives us, I want you to turn to verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount, Mount Seir, which is the same and prophesy against it. This is talking about the same thing. And say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee. And I will stretch out mine hand against thee, for I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He's using the same type of, of language he used with, with Moses, saying, I am. And he said, I am the Lord. And this, is, this is, uh, tells us what was in their heart. Because thou hast a perpetual hatred, hast shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamities, in the time that their iniquity had an end. So the Bible is uh, saying, because of thy lust, you actually, uh, and the hatred that's in your heart. And it was a lust for the land itself. I want you to look at uh, 35 verse number 10. 
The Bible says, because thou hast said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess it where the Lord was there. How many believers today on the face of the earth are capitulating, going back and forth, trying to decide, well, there's, does there need to be a two-state solution or not? You know, my soul, how clear is it in the word of God that the land belongs to Israel? And no matter what happens, we're to stand as believers as we try to spread the gospel around the world. We should stand. You say, is it really that related? Absolutely. Because if, it's, if, it, if we don't, if we don't obey the word of God, if we take a stand differently than what we see God doing in the word of God, then in our hearts will drift complacency and ultimately we will be compliant and we could maybe even be complicit. And so we see God in here warning them once again. And I want to, I want to uh, skip up, if we would, please, just for time purposes, to chapter 36. And I want you to look what God says as he reveals their heart and their plan. Uh, their plan was that they would have the land. But, but then he turns it a little bit and he, he gives the other side of this. Look at verse number 16 of chapter 36. More of the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelled in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a new woman. Therefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for the idols wherewith they had polluted it. So now the Lord is saying, I'm not ignoring the fact that they have turned away from you. I'm not ignoring the fact uh, that, that they have turned away from God. And he says in verse number 19, So I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their doing, according, uh, according to their way, and according to their doings, I judged them. And it says, And when they entered into the heathen, or into the nations, whither they went, they even there they profaned my holy name. And they, said to, and they said to them, these are the people of the Lord and are going forth out of his land. So to speak, they said, wow, look at these people that are of the Lord that have come out. Of, they're profaning the name of the Lord. And so God is not ignoring the backslidings of, of his people. The nation still remains, though, the apple of his eye. God corrects his children, but he has never forsaken this nation. And by the way, aren't you glad about that? Because if God was forsaken Israel, then God could forsake us. And if he, if he forsakes one unconditional covenant, then he can forsake another unconditional covenant. But he won't forsake his covenants. Amen? And so I'm happy that even with Israel in their sinful state, and even though they're not a perfect people, that God has not forsaken his covenant. And that tells me he's not going to forsake me. And the Christians should be so happy as they go forth with the Great Commission. And it's so important of our stand with the nation of Israel because God has not forsaken them. So what is God's commitment uh, to Israel? Well, God will always keep his promises, right? It, it is God's eternal plan. That he, to glorify his name and bring in everlasting righteousness. And he speaks this. Uh, uh, and he gives his sovereign purpose in preserving and cleansing. Ultimately saving this remnant of the nation. Look what he says in verse number 21. But. Don't you like sometimes that word. Amen. But I had pity for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, uh, the nations whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but I do this for my holy name's sake. And boy, my mind goes rushing back to the land of Egypt and, and, and out in the desert with the, uh, uh, Moses as he goes to the burning bush and he goes, says to, uh, to the, uh, from the burning bush, go tell those that are in, 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 the, uh, in Egypt that the great I am has sent you, that, the, that this is my name and I'm going to deliver them. But even in Egypt, he did not deliver the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, for their own sake. 
He delivered him for his holy namesake. And you know what's wonderful? When we go around the world, that's why it makes life wonderful to just give your life to the Great Commission, right? Because if there's a cause that's wonderful, it's this cause. Taking this name of God to a lost and dying world around the world and realizing that what we're doing is actually doing it for his holy namesake. And so we see, and, and so that's why we should have a burden for, for the Jewish people, not because of their actions, but because that God wants to take and glorify his name by reaching them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, it's for his name's sake. And he says in verse number 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, and saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. And this is what's going to make the millennial kingdom so amazing. It's because when we go to be with the Lord, and maybe that will happen tonight. You never know. The rapture of the church can happen any time. We go to be with the Lord. And we're with the Lord seven years, and then the Lord said, we're coming back. And we come back, and his feet touch the Mount of Olives. And then we see uh, him uh, gather uh, the nations and, uh, for him, and those that are against Israel, he destroys uh, that come against him. And then he brings Israel, and one-third of the nation uh, embraces him, the, the remnant, and they receive the Messiah, and they're saved by the grace of God. And it's going to be then that we understand the depths of what we're doing even today when his name is sanctified in the name of, uh, in the name of uh, his name in the land of Israel together. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. And I'll tell you, it's going to be wonderful when you'll be able to stand there knowing you did what you did for his holy name. And it was worth it. So let's finish. He said, I will take you out of there. And in verse number 26, and of course, let's read 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. You shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And so we understand that this is the, uh, the fulfillment of the new covenant and the, and the nation of Israel. And how that the Lord does this through and because of his holy name. She said, well, Brother Frampton, and this is close. What, all of this this week, what, what is my role in this? Well, as we go around the world and we reach the nations of the world with the gospel, we've talked about how that that will provoke uh, the Israel to, to uh, receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior even today. And so we should go forth and God will glorify his name by provoking them to jealousy. Uh, we, need to, we need to pray for them, right? We need to pray regularly for the nation of Israel and that they might re receive the shalom of Israel, the Messiah God. And it should be on the lips of every missionary in every land, in every country, and every people should be praying for the nation of Israel. And, and, and that God would do that. And then we need to proclaim it to them. And this is the, what we uh, studied earlier in the week about being the great cause of bringing Jew and Gentile together uh, in Christ. And now I want to I want to end tonight in that Mark chapter eleven. You don't really have to turn. I'm just going to give you the overview. But what are the things that we need in order to do it? And this is what Jesus said, standing on the mount in the place where he placed his name, when the disciples were looking, and he said, "My house shall be called of all nations house of prayer." He said these words: "Have faith in God." It's going to take faith. Faith that there's nothing impossible with God. Faith that God is able to reach any people. It's going to take faith. Have faith in God. Let me ask you tonight. What's holding you back, if it is, from stepping out and doing this great cause for God and bringing his holy name and going to around the world to reach both Jews and Gentiles. Is there anything holding us back? Have faith in God. Jesus was saying that to his disciples. Then he said this. He said, and pray. Pray believing. Pray that God will give you divine appointments, right, with Jewish people. Pray that God will give you divine appointments with Gentiles. There's no people that's too hard for God to reach, right? 
And God can do that for the cause of his holy name. That he would sanctify his name before the uh, entire world. And then I want to end with this thought. Right after the Lord said, have faith in God. And right after he said, then believe that there's nothing impossible and pray. He said this, and I thought this was interesting. And when you stand praying, this is in this, forgive. If ye have all against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you in your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. What was the Lord saying? How, what an odd place to all of a sudden talk about forgiveness. He's standing on the, mount of, uh, on the temple mount. He's saying there uh, that, that the, 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 his temple is going to be uh, a, a, a temple of all nations, a house of prayer of all nations. He's saying to them, have faith in them and, and make sure that you pray as you go out and reach the world. But then he's saying, make sure you forgive. Make sure you forgive. And this is the scene because just a few days later, he was taken out on, a, on Mount Calvary on, at Golgotha and he was nailed to a cross for the sins of the whole world. And on that cross, Jesus looked down there in Jerusalem outside the city and he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How in the world could it ever be a heart of anti-Semitism or against any nation of the world? When Jesus, hanging on the cross, would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The greatest step that we need to make sure that we have uh, in, in our hearts, the greatest step we need to make is to make sure that there's nothing in our hearts against these people, and especially the nation of Israel. If Jesus on the cross can forgive them, certainly we can forgive them. And I don't know why they would need our forgiveness, but for whatever reason, we, he says forgive them. But also forgive all nations. And this is the effectiveness of the Great Commission and pictured right here. So God help us to have the faith to step out, to pray, and to have love in our hearts for all people, both the Jew and the Gentile. And so that we would never have any type of complacency in our heart for anyone, but would fall before our, for God and, and cry with tears that God would help us to reach this lost and dying world for the Lord Jesus Christ.